0: Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. The Gospels are the primary sources of historical information about the man from Nazareth and of the religious movement he founded. These religious Gospels recount the life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of a Jew named Jesus who spoke Aramaic. Biblical scholarship regards the Gospels to be the literary manifestation of oral traditions that originated during the life of a historical Jesus and are a type of ancient biography, a genre which was concerned with providing examples for readers to emulate while preserving and promoting the subject's reputation and memory, as well as including propaganda and preaching in their works. The four canonical Gospels that tradition attributes to, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are therefore the foremost sources for the life and message of Jesus. But other parts of the New Testament also include references to key episodes in his life and deeds, including the letters of Paul the Apostle, whose writings are the earliest surviving Christian texts that include information about Jesus. In this episode, we examine the canonical Gospels in the conclusion of our survey of the Bible. The Bible is the most significant book in the Western canon. It's also the book upon which the post-antiquity Western civilization was built upon. When first written, the four canonical, or sacred Gospels, were called memoirs or memories. Only later were they referred to as Gospels, meaning glad tidings or good news in Greek. Once again, Gary Stevens of the History in the Bible podcast shares with us his views on this remarkable book, In Search of the Historical Jesus.
1: The three most referenced books of the Christian Bible are Psalms, Matthew, and the immensely popular Gospel of John. John the Apostle was also held to be the author of the book of Revelation. The author of Revelation does call himself John, but makes no claim to be either John the Apostle or John the Gospel writer. The Western Latin Church thought that Revelation was a doozy of a book, one obviously written by the Apostle. The Greek East thought it written by some other person called John. The time from 250 to the triumph of the Emperor Constantine, 60 years later, was a miserable era for both the Empire and the Christian community. The empire was assailed by Germans to the north and Persians to the east. Rome struggled to mount a military response. Central government collapsed in the face of constant military coups. International trade declined and cities were forced to become self-sufficient. The Roman economy slowly transformed from the freewheeling international trade zone established in the late Republic to something more like parochial feudalism. The state looked for scapegoats. It found them among the Christians. Constantine's immediate predecessors stabilised the empire. Constantine reversed the religious persecution of his mentors. He proclaimed freedom of worship for all. He promoted the Christian church. During this period, a man by the name of Eusebius took pen to Papyrus. Eusebius was the bishop of Caesarea Maritima, a small city on the Mediterranean coast of Judea. About 90 kilometers northwest of Jerusalem, not far from modern Haifa. He worked from 310 to 340. He witnessed his church pass from persecution to state support. Upon his death, somewhere between one quarter to one half of the imperial population were Christian. Eusebius wrote a comprehensive history of Christianity down to his own time. The importance of Eusebius cannot be underestimated. His history is filled with anecdotes and extensive quotations from earlier Christian writers. In innumerable cases, Eusebius' quotations are our only source of knowledge for many early Christian authors. Eusebius records the books he considers sacred. Eusebius is writing during a time when Christian bishops, like himself, first enjoyed the luxury of state protection and income, time for a man to sit back and write a few good histories. Even at this late time, Eusebius is unsure about the New Testament. He makes an inventory of books divided into three categories, accepted, dubious, and rejected. Eusebius accepted the four Gospels and the letters of Paul, Acts, and Revelations. Of the other letters, only 1 John and 1 Peter. Eusebius questioned the same books that Irenaeus had, James, Jude, Second Peter, Second John, and Third John. Eusebius rejected many books that other communities were reading. The very first time that someone presents us with exactly, and precisely, the New Testament canon we have today is in the year 367. By that time, the Christian church was a well-entrenched political and economic power within the empire. An empire divided in two. The western portion was under constant barbarian attack, economically stressed and politically unstable. The city of Rome had been just a minor town for decades. The wealthiest city in the empire was in the eastern portion, Alexandria in Egypt. Each January, its turbulent bishop Athanasius wrote a pastoral letter to his congregations, informing them of the date of the next Easter. In one such letter, he laid out his idea of the sacred books, corresponding exactly to our New Testament. We can't know if Athanasius was just putting forward his own ideas, or if he was reflecting common opinion. Athanasius' letter did not settle matters. For another century and more, the Latin West challenged the legitimacy of the letter to the Hebrews. The Greek East stuck with Eusebius, and tried to ditch the letters that he thought dodgy, as well as the book of revelation how did the church end up with the books we now have we are clueless the canon was probably formed by the larger and more powerful christian communities beating up on the powerless most of the church fathers are bullies from the wealthiest diocese. they hectored and harangued their opponents into submission after the jesus movement rejected marcion's tiny list of sacred books it reacted by expanding his canon first off It incorporated the entire Jewish Tanakh, the Old Testament. The Old Testament provided a model. The Old Testament began with histories. So would the New Testament, the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Including Acts was a major rebuff to Marcion. The Church accepted Marcion's letters of Paul and threw in three more, the pastorals. Two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. Now the decisions became a lot harder. What about those other letters? James and Jude and John and Peter? And how wacky is that book of Revelations? After Christianity was institutionalized, its bishops decided that each book in the canon had to pass three tests. First, was it Catholic? That is, was it known and used throughout the empire? Second, was it orthodox? That is, universally believed by all? Third, was it written by an apostle? These were all post-hoc rationalizations. The second and third letters of John were unknown to the Greek East. The Greeks were cajoled into accepting them after the Latin West insisted that they were written by the same author as the first letter of John. No one complained about the dodgy ideas in some of the letters of Paul, the times when he implies Jesus was not human or he was merely adopted by God. But the Gospel of Peter and the Acts of John were excluded for broaching those same ideas. The letter of Barnabas was kicked out because it cited the book of First Enoch. But the letter of Jude did the same, yet it was retained. Other books were rejected not by their content, but because of guilt by association. All the Gnostic works suffered that fate, including the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of John was a fan favourite of the Gnostics and barely made it into the New Testament. The criterion of apostolic authorship was easily twisted. The three letters attributed to John are anonymous. That didn't stop anyone claiming John as the author. The letter to the Hebrews is also anonymous, but became so popular it was attributed to Paul. There were dozens of letters floating around attributed to Peter, but only two made it into the New Testament. By the year 450, the list of books of the New Testament was well established. When the empire was falling apart, both Greek East and Latin West had agreed on the same collection of 27 books.
0: Academics support the historicity of Jesus, but scholars of antiquity differ on the beliefs and teachings of Jesus as well as the accuracy of the details of his life that have been described in written accounts of the life and teachings of a historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it. Nutritionists recommend it. And customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. H-I-S-T-O-R-Y using the code 30605.